Hello everyone, welcome. Thank you for tuning in to Talking in the Rain. I'm your host, Saira Unju, and you just heard a little snippet of Handel's Messiah in the beginning of this episode, which is very fitting for my guest today, Alison McCarty. She's a singer-slash-opera artist based in Toronto. In this episode, we got into performing in different countries, growing up singing, teaching singing, Handel's Messiah, of course, and why Handel is Alison's guy. Hint... It has to do with her being an alto slash mezzo-soprano. <laughs> the conversation flowed into a lot of topics, so I'm not even going to try to list them all, but you should listen and find out yourself. Also, catch Allison perform in Handel's Messiah, presented by Early Music Vancouver and Vancouver Chamber Choir, on December 8th at the Orpheum in Vancouver, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you so much for joining me. How about we get started by just kind of getting to know you. Tell me about yourself, how you got started, how it's going, and what are you up to right now? Just kind of an overview. <laughs> uh, sure. I got started as a singer when I was nine years old, and it's really kind of the only thing I've ever done, which is such a privilege. I mean, to be able to to make my living as a singer is... is it's great. It certainly has its challenges sometimes, but it's fantastic. I mean, I, I say that I started when I was nine. I started taking lessons when I was nine and then sang all the way through high school, did choirs and stuff, and then went to university for voice and thought I was going to be a teacher. And then I got there and I thought, oh, this is actually kind of fun. And I'm kind of okay at it, which was a surprise. So um, I continued on with, you know, university and then did some young artist programs after that. And it's it's been... It's been a number of years since then. So I've been doing this quite a while. Yeah, it's but it's it's a great life. I mean, I love it. And my days start with singing and end with singing and listening to music. And it, it's just it's it's great. I'm so fortunate. Do you ever get tired of hearing your own voice? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do get tired of hearing my own voice for sure. It's, you know, when I really dislike my own voice is when I have to listen to recordings of myself, which I can't really be objective. One would think after all these years, I'd be able to sort of figure that out yet, but I haven't. And I, and I think, I think I'm coming to the point where I'm sort of at peace with that. I hear recordings of myself from years ago and I think, it's pretty good but probably in the moment when I listen to it I'm like oh no I messed that up oh no that note's not long enough so that kind of stuff but oh yeah yeah I get that so you said you started taking voice lessons when you were nine and then studied voice in university when you went into high school and was getting ready to apply for universities did you like know that you wanted to study voice or were you weighing your other options as well that's a really good question. Um, my daughter is 16 and she's trying to figure out what she wants to do right now. And uh, yeah, it was a funny time. I mean, I I remember my mom actually speaking to the guidance counselor at high school and saying she has no idea what she wants to do. You know, my grades were good. I was an A student. I loved school. And we had all this sort of aptitude testing done and maybe some secret desire would have been revealed in these tests and <laughs> what came out was performer so I was like okay all right well there it is again and uh yeah so then like I say I thought university is going to be four years it's going to be challenging 
And I thought I might as well pick something I love and something I'm pretty good at. And then at that point, you know, I had sung in a lot of choirs. I had done competitions. I played piano and all that kind of stuff. And I thought, so, okay, I've got a lot of skills already. Let's just go for it. And, you know, I went to Wilfrid Laurier University and I grew up in Oshawa, but I had family in Guelph, which is a city not too far from, from Waterloo where Laurier is. And I thought, okay, that makes sense. You know, family's close by and it seems like a nice community. And, and I liked the vibe there when I went to audition and then, like I say, when I got there, it was like, okay, this is this is really fun. I really like this. And I I didn't even know really what what opera was at that point. Like I'd never seen an opera. I'd heard opera on recordings and stuff, but it always seemed kind of foreign and kind of laughable. But, you know, of course, came to realize very quickly that not all opera is in Italian. There's a lot in English, French and German. Of course, I didn't know that. So I was I was pretty green when I got there in terms of operatic education. But, you know, once once I started hearing the music and sort of falling into that stage thing, I was like, OK, here I am. This is it for me. Oh, that's amazing. And it's wild to me that you didn't know much ab about opera before going into it. But I guess it also kind of makes sense because I feel like auto Ottawa <laughs> opera is definitely <laughs> a uh, acquired taste. Like, I don't think anyone in high school is watching opera. <laughs> no, I would agree with that. But, you know, it's funny because when people find out I'm an opera singer, they're like, Ooh, oh, ah, and, wow, that's amazing. And sometimes people say, I don't like opera. I'm like, OK, fair. It's not for everybody. I understand that. But my my next question is always really, oh, that's too bad. So what have you seen? And they always say, well, I haven't. I'm like, well, then you don't know what opera is because opera is not a recording. It is not an auditory experience. It's visual and it's auditory and it's it's physical. It's live performance, singing in a very, I call it Olympic way sometimes. And that's that's the experience. Once people have had that experience, I don't usually hear, I don't like it. It's like, whoa, I, I, I wasn't expecting to feel that way or this part I really couldn't stand and I don't understand this. It's It usually brings on more questions than opinions. And then people get excited about it. And then it's like, you know, it's also the kind of art form where you kind of got to do a little bit of legwork before the downbeat comes. Now, of course, with Messiah, we're not talking technically about opera we're talking about oratorio mm -hmm. so that's but it's the same style of classical singing so um there's a little bit of legwork like you got to kind of read the story before you come even with messiah you want to make sure you know the sort of structure of the whole thing before you go there and then you're going to have a more informed experience and it's going to be a little bit richer if you if you kind of know what you're heading into yeah and talking about messiah <laughs> do you want to tell everyone what it is and yeah. just kind of talk about that a little messiah oh my gosh i could talk for hours about this it's honestly one of my most favorite pieces to do i think i'm somewhere in the region of maybe 75 performances of it that i've done like it comes around every year right and you do sometimes you do a number of them in different cities and then you have you know three performances of it four performances of it sometimes two so it starts to add up over the years so it's not an opera i will say in my opinion it is kind of an act of worship 
if you could look at it that way for some people. It's essentially the story of Christ's life from the very beginning before he showed up on the scene to the end and to the resurrection and beyond. Um, it's a varied evening. It's a variety show of choruses, um, recitatives, which is like spoken word uh, set to harmonies and arias or songs. Um, there's some uh, duets. It's just an evening of hits, I have to say. And when you go there, if you've never seen it or never heard it before, you're going to go, oh, that's that. That's that song. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a fantastic one. I love that. Oh, I recognize that. That kind of thing. For a person who the Christian faith is their faith tradition, it can be a very moving experience. And for those that it's not, it's it's still a wonderful musical story told. Just Just to sort of share a fun story about that. I had a very unique experience a couple of years ago, right before the pandemic, to do um, Messiah in some very large evangelical churches in Florida. And uh, it was it was a stunning experience. I mean, there was the jumbotron, there was multiple like TV cameras that they were filming so they could put it up on the screen behind us. And um, the place was packed. And when we did the Hallelujah Chorus, like, I have never seen an, an audience respond that way. There were people like fist pumping in the back. And there were people that were visibly very emotional. Like it was, it was like a rock concert. It was the most incredible experience. And then after, after the performance, I, of course, we went out into the audience, which was wonderful to speak to people. And there were people that were deeply moved by the experience like it was you know it kind of chokes me up when I think about it because people were just like oh thank you for your for your performance and your you just moved me so much and this one lady said to me I thought oh no here comes the alto you weren't expecting much and she says but it was really wonderful I thought well I'm glad I changed your mind yeah I actually have a question related to that because in, I will say, like, both operas and musical theater, it seems like most roles are written for soprano voices. Is it difficult for you, as someone who is not a soprano, to find roles? Or was it difficult when you were first getting started in this industry? That's actually a really good question. Is it difficult? No, because there's lots of stuff for mezzos. Um, when we think operatically, Title roles as mezzos are few and far between. There's tons of title roles like Tosca, Madame Butterfly, La Fille du Régiment. Like there's so many title roles for sopranos and for mezzos, everybody goes, uh, Carmen. And then it's kind of, that's it. But you know, in the sacred repertoire, there's, there's tons of material. Handel, Handel, my guy, Handel is the writer for the alto, right? And for the castrato, for the, for the male alto too. So there's always in his, in his operas too, there's usually like at least, at least two, sometimes three, but some of them there's even more, um, mezzo voices or alto voices. So handles, handles my man, handles my man. Yeah, it's great that you're, you're doing handles Messiah that it's, yeah. Also question about performing in churches, the sound echoes so well in a church. And you've performed both in churches and also stages. Do you see a big difference in those? Do you oh, like performing in churches? I do. I love Messiah in a church. 
churches typically are a little bit smaller and you're also closer to the people you're singing you're singing to so I love that sort of personal interchange it's a little bit more right in front of you it's it's sort of more readily available the acoustic is yeah you can't beat a church acoustic especially if it's an old church right and then it rings on at the end but there are concert halls like that too and there are concert halls that do have that sort of intimate kind of feeling but the thing in a church is you're often not on a stage you're usually just on a platform so you're this sounds a bit weird you're amongst the people right so it's it's kind of uh it does feel different and going back to roles um and you said you know handles perfect for altos do you have a a dream role or a dream opera you would like to be in that you haven't performed in yet i've done a lot of a lot of my dreams have come true i have to say <laughs> what if the handle haven't there's things i'd like to do again i'd love to do um ruggero and alcina handles opera alcina i'd like to do that again not only handle but for me any baroque thing especially french baroque i'm doing um luli uh french baroque composer his uh opera armide this summer in sweden which is also another dream come true so that's going to be pretty spectacular. Any Baroque music is really, I just feel like that's where I feel most at home. The more dramatic, the better. <laughs> that's so how very fitting for a performer. <laughs> <laughs> um, talking about Sweden, this is not your first time performing outside of Canada, outside of Toronto. You've performed with a big variety of, in a, variety of cities with different people different conductors I have a couple questions relating to that first of all does it get exhausting ever to travel for specific performances and to be performing outside of your home city oh it is it is exhausting and it's it seems like you know when it's time to stop it won't because I don't want to sing anymore it's because I don't want to travel anymore you know The hard part is the solitude sometimes because, you know, I'm away from my family. It's hard for them and it's hard for me as well. Um, and yet it's pretty exciting. You know, when I landed in Beijing, I thought something's going right in my life. Like that was a really cool place to sing. And, you know, when I sang in Toulouse, that was fantastic. Also being in England was wonderful. Going to the States is always great. I love going to the States. I sang Messiah, in fact, in, in fact, in Madrid, which was, uh, <laughs> I flew to Madrid and like two days after I arrived, they had this snowstorm, like never snows in Madrid. And I'm like, seriously, <laughs> perfect for Messiah. because it's always snowing when I sing Messiah, but yeah, it's challenging, but you know, having to go to the same workplace every day and working with the same people all the time for years on end for me might be challenging too I, i mean i like the my husband always says these eggs have expiry dates like every job expires at some point i mean you do run into people in the industry over and over again but uh it took a lot get adjusting to that when i first started but now it's sort of old hat <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah and is it i'm sure you've gotten used to it by now because you know you've been working for a while but Was it difficult adjusting to working with different people in, you know, different places? Because I feel like everyone 
even though they're in the same industry has a different way they work. Yeah. You know, I don't find that so much a challenge. Sometimes mm -hmm. what I find is the fact that I don't speak all the languages of the places that I go. Actually, very few, I would say. That gets challenging to sort of have, you know, sort of casual social contact with people, which sort of lends a little bit to the isolation sometimes. But in general, most people are great. And the percentage of people that are not is really small. And everybody knows it, right? So <laughs> singers and mu musicians in general are, are really fun, fun people and open to creating. And we're all sort of the same kind of people, I guess, in a way, the same kind of creative artists. Mm -hmm. You're all on the same boat. You get each other. <laughs> we we sort of all run in the same pack, you know? <laughs> Definitely. Did you take language classes as part of your education so that, you know, you knew how to pronounce words <laughs> that you, for the operas you were in? And also, if you did, do those come in handy ever when you're traveling? Yeah, we, as classical singers, we do a ton of study um, in other languages. I did take language classes. I This is kind of a, a bit of a rabbit hole subject for me because I like to sort of deep dive into this kind of thing. And I'm fascinated by people who are polyglots. I'm, I'm really discovering now that language classes are kind of a, I don't know if they work. They didn't work for me, you know? Um, I think being in an environment and hearing the language and being stuck makes you brave and then you really start to learn. Uh, yeah, we work really hard as singers to pronounce things as accurately as accurately, full stop, right? Uh, we know what every single word means. We know how to write out languages in the uh, international phonetic alphabet. That's part of our training. And we have to we have to be good at it because you can't go up and sing in someone else's language and not get it right. So there's that. Um, May I ask why you need to learn the international phonetic alphabet? This helps you when you come across a word that you don't know how to pronounce. You can always look it up in the dictionary and read the 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 IPA. It also helps you to be really clear on what the vowels really are. Like O is not just O. O has many shades of O, right? Open, closed. And they kind of do change ever so slightly from language to language. Yeah. Um, do you speak any other languages besides English? I struggle in French. I'll say mm -hmm. that. I, my joke is I can always get a hotel room and a, and a meal in all the operatic languages. <laughs> I understand more than I'm daring to say most of the time. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, with language, usually you start to understand better than you can speak before. So, but hey, if it gets you, if it helps you, then. Yeah. So aside from performing, you also teach part-time at the University of Ottawa, right? I I did for the last three years. Yeah. This year, I'm not back. Enrollment is down, so they didn't have enough students because I was, as part-time, were the first ones on the chopping block if they don't have enough students. The pandemic has really affected enrollment at universities across the country. I started teaching during the pandemic, so the good thing about that is that I was going to Ottawa and coming back. I'd have to teach sometimes when I was still on the road, but my singing schedule was still pretty pared down to what it usually is. This year, I'm back up full speed. So um, 
having every voice lesson on Zoom is not the greatest. So, and yeah, and of course, enrollment impacted that. So it, it kind of didn't make sense for me to make those trips if I don't have enough students. So yeah, makes sense. Do you or are you planning on taking in students? I still have my own private studio and I still yeah. have students that uh, work with me sort of intermittently. A lot of them are online. And some some of them, I have one student who comes to Toronto and takes a series of lessons with me every now and then. So yeah, I'm still teaching very much. I really love teaching. I love, love young voice students. I love the enthusiasm. I love that people are excited by this material. It's it's really great. It, with voice, is it kind of, I don't know if this is a stupid question. <laughs> how How hard is it to teach? Because you can't really explain your own what you're feeling that well to other people right and voice it depends a lot on like where you place your voice in your throat and stuff like that so how do you I guess learn to teach <laughs> I can actually I can explain really really well what I do when I sing like that's the whole thing with teaching is explaining exactly what the technique is, what the series of steps are that you execute in order to make the best, most centered in your body sound that's uniquely yours. So you you do have to explain how to do that. Most importantly with singing is when you start off is teaching people how to breathe. So, and again, it's a series of steps. It's a technique. It's not kind of this amorphous, undescribable thing. You know, and I teach people how to breathe. They sing. I think, okay, I can hear what they're doing right and what they maybe could be doing better. And I say, well, think about this. You need to do this when you're singing that particular consonant. Think about the shape of the vowel and how you how you shape your mouth and, and how that works throughout the registers. There's a lot to discover, for sure. Tangible, concrete steps, definitely. Wow. It's it's really interesting to me to be able to learn, like to train your voice, basically. It's, yeah, so when, I guess because you started taking voice lessons pretty early on, I'm guessing it was pretty natural for you. Yeah. Oh, it was so natural. Honestly, like my mom, as the story goes, my mom said, and my dad said that I would sing all the commercials like when I was really small, I had them all memorized for some reason. And then we were a church going family and there was a lot of singing in church. And that's where I would, you know, ah, when I was really young and couldn't read, I would go to church because you got to sing at church. There was a lady in the church choir who used to be a singer um, in Scotland in her heyday. And she was the voice teacher in the town that I grew up in. So it sort of went from there. I graduated from commercials to folk songs. That's fun. I I grew up dancing and my story is kind of similar where apparently I would watch music videos and like dance, like yeah. try to do all of the dances in the music videos. My mom was like, what if we put her in dance class? <laughs> yeah. Because when you're a kid, like you just don't, you don't hold back, right? It just, what you love just comes out. I love that. I'm, I'm excellent too that your mom saw that. Oh yeah, I'm very happy. It's still a big part of my life. Yeah. Also like, yeah, I guess with performing comes a lot of 
negative voices both from the outside and the inside you criticize yourself a lot you hear criticisms I'm pretty sure unfortunately how how do you deal with that as a full-time performer you pick the voices you listen to you pick like you seek out the people whose opinion you trust that's really I gotta say that it is really one of the biggest struggles is to not feel bad about what you do when it kind of doesn't go well sometimes and that's just gonna happen like not everybody has a 10 out of 10 day every time they come out that is challenging because you feel like sometimes like you've let people down you've let yourself down you know all that work for for this to happen you know that that is kind of challenging but yeah what of it I mean get over it move on right like do you want to do it or not like that sounds kind of harsh. And I mean, through the years you do, I have had to learn to have more compassion for myself and mm. say, it's okay, just move on. And nobody's as critical of you as you are of yourself. So um, yeah, that is, that is definitely a challenge. And I, I really don't think that that ever stops. I thought I'd reach a point where I'd be, I've made it and it never comes. I realize that. So I've stopped waiting for it but in in that comes tremendous peace too that's just the journey you never arrive because if you arrive you're done so keep take another breath and keep singing right (laughs) (laughs) i love that yes (laughs) and i guess it helps you push yourself too yeah yeah and i i mean that's also part of it i love the challenge of you know, working on all the details, getting the text right, making sure you're doing all the musical markings right, exploring the composer, where were they in their lives when they wrote this particular piece and how did that affect their choice of poetry? I mean, I'm on a bit of a, a Schumann bender right now because I'm doing Liederkreis, Opus 39 by Robert Schumann this Saturday. And I went on this big Schumann bender, like reading his biography and Clara Schumann and it's I I love that detail work. I find that so interesting, sort of stepping back in time and understanding the composers as real people with real, real life struggles. Like Clara Schumann worried like her whole life about paying the bills. Like what? Clara Schumann? You know, (laughs) just can't even swallow that. Like, how does that happen? But it just makes them more more real and the music more relatable Mm -hmm. that's interesting you must have so much knowledge on both composers and operas if you go in like deep dive (laughs) for your performances you know you read something and then you forget it like two months later but you know it's in there it's in there somewhere it can be refreshed and brought back to the fore and honestly that sort of kind of research about the actual composers that's kind of a recent thing for me in the last Mm. Uh, more I previously and I still do this because you have to is really just digging into text and that kind of stuff so there's always something new to learn always which is the with the great joy of this job yeah and when you're so for your preparation process for a performance besides like researching and going through the text is there anything else that you do uh depends on how I mean Messiah I've known I started seeing that when I was in my 20s. So that was a while ago. So that one's that one's sort of in there. 
sometimes, you know, like if, if you can, you can find movies on the topics of things that you're listening to or understanding the time when the music was being written, like again, movies or, you know, Netflix series and stuff like that. That's kind of fun. Just trying to think, yeah, reading books and talking to people. People are always the best resource, right? Mm-hmm. People are always so interesting. Like coaches that have worked some of this material that I'm like my pianist, you know, they've been working on this stuff for 40 years. And I remember this performance of so-and-so famous person when I was in my twenties and that kind of stuff. Yeah. I find that interesting. Yeah. It's, a, it's such a living kind of thing, right? Like it's, you think it's sort of old and stuffy and it's really not. It's so brimming with life and renewing itself all the time. Yeah. Opera. Well, I don't think it will ever feel old. Yeah. It's it's a really interesting art form, I think, because it kind of birthed at musical theater as well, which is so popular now with both like stage performances and also music uh movie productions and stuff like that. That yeah, it keeps itself alive basically. And there's so much new musical theater shows like just being pumped out all the time and as opera singers now this is something that's changed since I started like you know you go and do an audition to get a job and they what are your five arias right so you represent all the languages and hopefully all the styles but now it's like bring a musical theater piece bring a bring a show music as we call it kind of thing you know usually typically more sort of golden age stuff for opera singers that we do but not always but that's now something we're expected to do and not just be opera singers or classical singers. What's your usually go-to like musical theater song you bring as a, as a mezzo? I sing on the regular shy from once upon a mattress. I'm a huge Carol Burnett fan mm-hmm. and there are so many fantastic videos of her on YouTube, but the one of her doing shy, I think it's in the early sixties online on youtube i mean it's just she's incredible just textbook and that voice oh my gosh what a voice just an incredible performer i fancy myself carol burnett (laughs) 0.01 so you said that like recently performers are being asked to bring in musical theater songs as well but you've been you know you have a big repertoire of of opera pieces that you sing have you been switching up what you sing in auditions or do you go back to the same ones from time to time how is that the like picking songs for auditions how is that process for you for me I mean most of us just have our sort of standard five it's usually maybe seven depending on what they're looking to hear um I sang the same stuff for the longest time. I always sang, you know, Italian girl, Rossini's Italian girl. I always sang a Handel aria, always, 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 because I love Handel. Um, I'm getting older now, so <laughs> I'm kind of changing things up. I, I don't really feel so much, we say in opera, like the Ina or the Etta, like Rosina or what Etta name I can't even think of. But, it, you know, a lot of the, the characters are sort of young girls, right? So that works for a while, but then there's a point where that kind of doesn't kind of feel so much like what you want to do anymore. So I'm sort of starting to change things up. I will always sing Handel, full stop. 
until, as the saying goes, until I close the lid, I will always sing a handle. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of in a process of exploring that right now myself. I'm not really, you know, with the pandemic, we really didn't have a lot of auditions, auditions happening. So that stuff kind of got a bit dusty. So I think it's time now to really reinvent and come back with some fresh stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how did the this Handel's Messiah, the one you will be performing in Vancouver, come about? How did you get involved with this production? Well, I've known Susie LeBlanc for a long time. We did a, a fantastic project a number of years ago, ago called La Conversione di Cloroveo Re di Francia. It's a nice big long title, an opera by Caldara. And uh, yeah, we're just we're, we're just colleagues, you know. And I think I wrote to her when she started at uh, Early Music Vancouver, and I said, "Shameless self promotion." <laughs> <laughs> and she said, "Of course." shamelessly promote your fine self I think she said something like that and I was like okay yeah so just sort of knowing people through the community right and Alexander Weiman is just always a rock star so anytime he calls I'm like okay sure (laughs) I'll be there (laughs) what time what time I'll be there (laughs) so this performance is a one night only thing it's on December 8th um for performances these like these do you fly in? I'm guessing not probably not the day of the performance, right? Because you have rehearsals, I'm assuming. Um, yeah, what's your schedule like usually for for performances like these? Generally for Messiah, we fly in a couple of days before and we have a couple of rehearsals. I mean, to like I live in Toronto, so to fly to Vancouver and sing on the same day, that will never happen. That's just too hard to do. It's just then it's, you know, Messiah is a long night. It's a lot of singing. So you got to be at least one or two days away from the jet lag. Um, it's usually two days. Like we come and have a meeting with the uh, conductor and we sing it with harpsichord or with piano. And then we meet with the orchestra for solo stuff. And then we have a rehearsal where we have the choir and we do the sort of link ups with the choir. And then we usually have a dress rehearsal and then we have the performance. So sometimes it can be very fast. My my agent calls it heat and serve messiah where you have basically a run through with the conductor and then you're on i don't so much love that because i like you know i like i like getting other people's ideas and i like to sort of communicate what i need at certain points it's a little less nerve-wracking when you have more time so yeah it's sometimes you can fly in earlier and get adjusted and just you know figure out where you're going to get your coffee in the morning and that kind of stuff so there's a few days leading up to it Mm-hmm. How much of your work would you say is in Toronto? Like aside from teaching, I'm talking about like performance specifically. That varies all the time. Mm-hmm. There's some years where I'm singing. I've been at the Canadian Opera Company and I'm with the Toronto Symphony. Uh, this year, I am lucky because I was in Victoria in September and October. And then I was back in Vancouver for a Verdi Requiem. And now I go back again to Vancouver. And then I go to, well, I have a recital in Ottawa, and then I go to Indianapolis. And then in the January, I'll go back to Victoria. So one of the uh, big fans of the opera come, came up to me and he said, so are you getting an apartment here? <laughs> I thought, That's not a bad idea. But so it's a lot of time in in the West Coast this year, which which is great. I love it there. Love it, love it, love it. 
it's it's really pretty here I will I am totally biased but <laughs> well I was walking by the water watching the plains land you know and then you know, of course Stanley Park but it's it's just like things are green and you don't go oh when you walk outside <laughs> so I like that yeah That's so true. come on the shopping is next level for sure <laughs> one thing I will say though food places like any food place closes so early here I yeah everything closes by like 11 p.m and mm. I'm a singer like I'm in bed by then I live I've lived like a senior citizen for years <laughs> oh my god I'm the exact opposite I I go to bed at like 6 a.m so <laughs> I need it Good for you. I mean, I wish I could do that. But honestly, come nine o'clock, I'm like, okay, bye. Except when I'm on the stage, right? <laughs> you just leave in the middle of the performance, like, it's bedtime, guys. I'm just, sorry, guys. I'm just beat. That other song, you can sing it yourself. Yeah, but that's, like, we do have to, we, as singers, we do have to be very careful. You can't go in environments that are too loud. You have to save your voice, you know? Like, going to a club is, like, murder on your voice forget it yeah I was gonna ask you how do you keep your voice healthy because with performing so much I would assume that it strains yeah the best thing in order to keep your voice healthy and sounding good is to not worry too much I think worry and being neurotic is (laughs) from experience has been the biggest enemy of my voice, just staying calm and relaxed uh, as as best you can. I mean, there's definite, definite pressures when singing in front of, you know, a lot of people. That's the most important thing. The other thing is, you know, you have to drink water, you got to stay hydrated and you have to avoid loud environments like going on the plane. People get friendly and I'm like, no, that's not me on go the headphones. I won't be talking. I mean, it seems, you know, maybe it seems a bit rude, but like, Planes are loud and you really shout when you're on the plane. So you have to be careful of that. In rehearsals too, we we mark. So that means we sing things down the octave and take it easy. We don't go full blast every time. You sometimes have to be very strategic with that depending on what your rehearsal schedule is like. Um, and yeah, you have to sleep. It's not an option to be an insomniac for, for me. Now, when my daughter was very young, you learn how to operate on a little bit less sleep, but you know, that has a, an expiry date as well. You do have to be very well rested and you have to eat regularly. You got to keep your energy good. I always say you're as good as, as good as your blood sugar when you're performing. So you just got to be a sensible, right? Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Does your daughter sing at all? Yes, she does. She's at a high school here, so she's deep into the musical theater tradition, but she really likes classical music. So we'll see. We'll see what she does. Mm -hmm. I don't. She's pretty good. She writes. She plays guitar. She writes music. I mean, like, I want to be her. That's what I wanted to be when I was her age. (laughs) She's amazing with some of the stuff she writes. So it's fun. It's hear her, you know, be so creative and you know, we're very close. And I'm like, some of the songs, I'm like, are you really only 16? Like, what have you been doing that I don't know about? Like, <laughs> but then I think, you know, that's the imagination. And I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. but <laughs> That's so funny. Oh, my God. Well, it's great that, I mean, 
I'm sure part of the reason why she's able to create so much is because she grew up in a household with a performer and allowed to be creative. So, and my husband, my husband is he started out as an actor. Um, he was a director of theater. He had his own theater company when he was, you know, in his twenties, and then became a director of opera. And he's had many hats in the creative world. So he's he's also a really good influence, a good sounding board. He's so well read about so many things. He's my go-to Google for things. So that's fun. Yeah, she's got a, she's got a lot of resources under this roof here. So nice <laughs> have you worked together uh on like a production before yeah 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 we did uh madama butterfly a number of times um sometimes he helps me like he's really good with text he he did a lot of uh speech arts when he was a kid and he's really um like i say so well read so he's good with poetry he loves poetry i call him mr shakespeare <laughs> so he's really good at sussing out structure in poetry and uh, so he's, we often sort of knock things off each other with poetry. Like, what do you think about this? And, you know, what about this? How should I think about this? And then he'll say, what about, I really hear this. And it's, uh, it's when our daughter was younger, it was kind of irritating to her, but I think now she's starting to see the value in it. Don't talk about singing. <laughs> yeah, you grow into it, definitely. My dad is a big opera guy and uh. yeah classical music too so I grew up basically I started doing ballet when I was three and then um we would go to the symphony every week and wow. yeah I will say my home city that I'm from it's not even like I'm not from Istanbul it's not that big of a city but our city symphony performs every single week and I'm surprised that, like, I, it's not a thing here. And I thought it was like a universal experience. <laughs> I love it. That is the best. Yeah. And then, so on Sunday mornings, my dad would wake us up by play blasting either classical music or opera in the house. And oh God, irritating. <laughs> yeah. When I was growing up. Of course I hated it because it's Sunday morning. I want to sleep. But now when I go back home and then I wake up like on Sundays when my dad is home, I'm like, I kind of wish he was blasting music right now. That is extraordinary. You must have heard so much material, like so much repertoire. Oh, yeah. Especially like not necessarily with opera as much but with classical music both because I was exposed to it doing ballet and also going to the symphony I never realized how much I like know and then it's kind of like a fun little fact about me yeah oh wow lucky you yeah truly I will say honestly but yeah I can't imagine though I will say growing up in a family with two performers it sounds like a cool experience i'll be yeah. honest yeah. yeah yeah i mean we have such a broad community of friends maybe she'll write a book about it one day oh my god that'd be yeah <laughs> you know she, i mean it's certainly now with when she's at school and she has to pick repertoire for things she has 
she has access to things that a lot of the other kids don't have. And I mean, she also has keyboard skills. I mean, she's got real skills that some of the other students, it just wasn't part of what their families did. So she's, she's a lucky kid. I mean, she says that too, you know, she says, I'm so grateful for what I have for, for having, you know, all this sort of in-house resource. So as long as she enjoys it though, right? Like it's, the reason why for me, I keep doing it is because it's fun. It's funny now too, as I get older, I feel like I enjoy rehearsing more than I do performing because it's kind of relaxed and you're really, you know, it's not so performative as they say, you know, it's more of a community experience because you're sort of sharing ideas, but it's just fun. Why not do something fun? Life is hard enough. Do something fun. And if you can get yeah, if you're getting paid to dress up in pretty costumes and sing, how amazing is that? For sure. Yeah, I will say opera costumes, so good. It Like opera has that visual element that, yes, some musical theater performances have, but it's on such a different level. Insane. <laughs> yeah, it's also, <laughs> there are, you know, performances and shows where I just end up wearing something totally regular mm-hmm. like street clothes and you know the concepts are always kind of modernized but the big costumes they're fun if they're comfortable sometimes they're not comfortable sometimes they're very heavy and you know wigs can be very itchy <laughs> so, but it's it's usually you know most of the places I work they're just such talented people doing costumes and they know how to fit things and you know, you got to feel comfortable if you want to sing well. Yeah, especially with like the like the classical with like the corset corset type dresses. Yeah. yeah, the corsets and then you have the sort of um the the underskirts with all the boning in it and stuff like that. That can get heavy. I had a costume when I was in Toulouse. I had these big panniers on the side that got a little heavy a little hard to sit down in that because you got to plan it because either if you don't sit down properly you sit on a hoop and then the whole thing comes up in your face so you got to work with the costume a little bit but uh yeah and corsets don't make them too tight what are you do you have costumes for messiah so when we do oratorio and things like this we have our own gowns that we wear to these performances i have a whole closet full of gowns you just have to make sure you don't wear the same gown twice in the same city (laughs) fun sometimes getting dressed up and I like that part but you know that's working clothes for me those are those clothes get a hard wear there's a lot of travel on those gowns you know so gotta make sure shoes are good the shoes have to be good oh yeah also it's a pretty long performance right yeah and you're standing the whole time for messiah we're usually seated unless we're singing oh okay okay back and forth for our numbers usually sometimes when I first started people were always sitting right in front of the orchestra so you'd stand there and then you or you sit there and then you'd stand up do your thing and sit back down more often now I they have us seated at the side so we sort of walk on and do our thing and then walk off which I prefer because then you know sitting there in front of everybody it's a little bit (laughs) it's a bit exhausting because you think okay where do I look yeah, you feel so conscious of every single thing you're doing. After a while, you get used to it, too. It's like, yeah, here I am again. It's good. <laughs> like, you can see people in the audience, which is always my favorite part. Like, 
singing, especially during Hallelujah Chorus, sometimes they have a sing Hallelujah, but to watch people when that happens, to watch people just recently in Vancouver, to watch people listen to the DS Irae of the Verdi Requiem was just like, it's like a rock concert. I say that over and over again, but it really is fun to see people thrilled by this music and they don't know that they're being watched, right? That's the other thing. So it's a totally unedited response, which is nice. Exactly. And especially in a church where everything's lit up, I can't, oh my God, everyone's. People that are engaged with what's going on somehow always stick out, right? So there's an energy coming from them that really sort of shines a light on them. So you go, oh yeah, there's someone who's here for the show, you know, who's not distracted. Yeah. Oh my God. Do you ever make eye contact with the audience members? Oh, sure. Sure. It's always fun if it's there's like children and they look up at you and you smile at them and then they're like, ooh, I love that. Yeah. That's pretty cute. Yeah. Well, that is all the time we have for now, unfortunately, but I really enjoyed talking to you. Is there anything you would like to mention before you go? I love Messiah so much. It is a fantastic work that has stood the test of time and the tradition of being done every Christmas in this country, for sure. We even had the instrumental um, pastoral symphony as the processional at our wedding. So you won't find a bigger fan than me. (laughs) And it'll be, I'm sure, amazing to watch because... You know, you can tell the difference when the performer is a fan of what they're doing. Oh, yeah, for sure. sure. But yeah, again, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. To talk to you. This was so fun and casual. I love that.